If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. If you're wondering where the Gospel of John is, you can find it in your New Testament. It's the fourth book in your New Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, starting at verse 26 together. We're not going to start there, but we're certainly going to get there. It's going to be an important passage for us this morning. But see, we're doing a series here at Thrive that we've really, really enjoyed going through. Have you guys enjoyed the series that we've been going through? It's called Street Cred. Everyone say Street Cred. And this, 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 I was going to say movie, but this, this, this series, this message series called Street Cred is all about leadership. It's because here at Thrive, we absolutely believe that you were born to be a leader. In fact, we like to say here at Thrive is that you are saved to serve, you are made to make a difference, you are blessed to be a blessing, and you were born to be a leader. Turn to everyone and say, you were born to be a leader. You are born to be a leader. And in particular, you are born to be a leader with street cred. What is street cred? Well, I've been using this definition of street cred that my friend gave me, and this is what it is. What is street cred? Street cred is having a reputation for being tough, for being resilient, for not giving up easily. It's about commanding a certain level of respect from other people when you're around them. It's about being relatable to people. It's about having resources, not just to get through and survive what you're going through, but to thrive in the environment that you're in. That's what it means to have street cred. I absolutely believe this, is that God made you to be a leader with street cred. If you believe that, say amen. And over these past few weeks, we've been looking at what are some of the things that prevent us from becoming the leaders that we were born to be? What are the things, some of the things that keep us from doing what God calls us to do as leaders? And we call them street cred killers. These are things that put a lid on our ability to lead. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at different types of street, street cred kills. We talked about selfishness one week. Another week, we talked about inconsistency. Another week, we talked about fear. Last week, we talked about fizzling out. Today, got such an important message to share with each and every one of you. Today, I want to talk about this next street cred killer in the form of a game. See, here's the thing, is that how many of you guys like to play games? Maybe video games, board games, you know, f- games on your phone. Let me tell you today, the game I want to talk to you about today is not a fun game to play. In fact, it makes you miserable when you play this game. And yet for some reason, for some reason, we tend to insist on playing this game often. And see, it's a game that we can never win, no matter how hard we try, and even though we invest so much of ourselves into it, it's a game we can never win. It's a game that can be such a distraction Even when we are so into what we're doing, it can be something that it distracts us from what we're supposed to do. This game is what I call the comparison game. I would say the comparison game. This is the street cred killer we're talking about today. What is the comparison game? Well, let me give you a little definition for this comparison game. What is the comparison game? The comparison game is the tendency to base your happiness and to base your worth on how you compare to others. Do you do that? Is that something that you do? Do you play the comparison game where, you know, when, when you look at others, you look at the left, you look to your right, you, you see what other people are doing, you see what they're up to, and that kind of causes you to think a certain way about yourself, it causes you to feel a certain way about yourself, that's called the comparison game. And see, what are some clues that you are playing the comparison game? Let me give you a few clues. You can write these down as well. Clue number one. One clue that you struggle with the comparison game is this, is that you measure, to measure how you're doing in life, you often compare yourself to other people. Do you do that? See, it's like wherever you go, you have this imaginary, invisible measuring stick 
that you take into every conversation that you have and to every interaction you have with other people, whether they're people you're meeting for the first time or the people you meet often, is that you are constantly measuring yourself against them. Who's prettier? Who's more talented? Who's smarter? Who's richer? Who's cooler? Who's got better hair if you're in the 20s or 30s or teens? Or, or who's got more hair if you're you know, in your 40s or 50s? Or who's got any hair if it's like 60s or 70s? It's, it's, this, it's this thing where you're just constantly competing or, or just comparing with one another. That's the first clue that you might struggle with the comparison game. Number two is that when you see the good things that other people have, you often become very unhappy with what you have. Has that happened to you before? So you're in traffic, you're, you're sitting in your car, and up beside you pulls up this super nice car, and you're like, what did that guy do to deserve that? Or like you're, you're, on, you're on your phone or you're on your computer and you're looking through some social media and you're kind of just scrolling and you're seeing all these amazing things that your friends are doing, you know, all these exciting places where they're going, all these you know, beautiful people that they're spending time with, uh, you know, and you think, man, my life sucks. Ever happened to you before? It's where you're comparing what you have with what they have, and you're like, man, I wish I had that person's looks. I wish I had that person's good fortune. I wish I had that person's opportunities. I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's looks. You know, I wish I had that person's spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend. I wish I had that person's child because it's not like my child. It's, it's, it's when you see other people with good things, and you're like, man, I'm so unhappy with what I have. Has that ever happened to you before? If that's you, then you can give yourself a point as well. That's clue number two. Clue number three is that you find it difficult to celebrate other people's joys and successes and achievements because deep down you're thinking, what about me? You're like, what about me? It's like you're thinking to yourself when someone says, hey, I got into the school that I applied for, and I even got a scholarship. And you know, on the outside, you're like, great, that's so ha- I'm so happy for you. And your voice is super high because you're trying not to, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be excited, but then deep down you're just like, that sucks. Why do they get it and I don't? Or maybe, you know, you, there's, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 start, I'm starting to date this guy, and he's amazing. I'm like, oh, why can't that be me? You know, or, or maybe it's one of those things where, you know, you see a couple, and maybe you and your wife have been trying to have a baby, and, and they, they come up and go, hey, you know, guess what? We're expecting. And you're like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. We're happy for you. But then deep down, you're like, what about us? What about me? If that's ever been your case before, you can give yourself a point. Number four is there is someone you constantly need to keep up with. Is that no one ever told you to do this, but for some reason there's someone in your life that is kind of like your secret competitor, that you're, you're always keeping tabs on what that person's doing, and you always feel like you have to keep up with that person. You always have to do one better than that person. That person got a big house, you got to get a bigger house. That person got a nice car, you got to get a nicer car. So that person has a nice girlfriend, you got to get a nicer girlfriend. It's just one of those things where you're just kind of just like, you know, just one, one upping one another because you are constantly needing to keep up with that person. And number five is this, is that you secretly rejoice when that someone fails. Is that you're not just keeping up with this person, but when that person experiences some, mis- some misfortune, when that person experiences something not good in their lives, Deep down, you're like, yes. You might be honest, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your job. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry you didn't get that A plus like you do always. Yes. Because in, in your heart, you're playing the comparison game. Is that you? If, you're, if it is, give yourself a point. Number six, you often feel like you are living in someone else's shadow and you can't stand it. Is that you? Is that maybe you've grown up in a home where someone else got all the attention. Someone else 
was the pretty one or the shiny one or the talented one. And, and they, they always seem to get all the praise and all the opportunities. And in your heart, you're like, why not me? And, and it's almost like every day you feel like you're living in the person's shadow. And it's like for the rest of your life, you're like, man, when will it finally be my turn? Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's, you know, your parent who's just, you know, he, he did some things or she did some things. And everyone talks about those things. But when is it my turn? If you feel like that, then give yourself a point. Number seven is sometimes you'll say to your loved one, why can't you be more like that person? Like, why can't you be more like pretty Polly? Or why can't you be more like straight A Sam? Or, or why can't you be more like handsome Harry? And it's because you're in your heart, you're comparing. You're comparing the person that you have in your life with that someone else who's far from you that you wish you had. And see, here's the thing. If any of these clues relates to you, then chances are you've been playing the comparison game. Have you been playing the comparison game? The fact is this, I think a lot of us, in fact, all of us struggle to one degree or another with the comparison game. And see, we live in a world where people are constantly comparing people. You just go online, it just happens all the time. And see, don't get me wrong, is that not all comparisons are bad. Is that when used in a proper way, when used in a healthy way, it can actually bring benefit to your life. Say, say you, you have someone who's maybe a little further ahead of you than you are in an area of life that you care about. Having that person in your life and being able to kind of see where they're at, that, is a, that can be a very helpful thing. You're like, yeah, you know, I, I see what they're doing. I want to incorporate some of the good things that I see in that person and incorporate into my life. That's a healthy comparison. That's having a mentor. That's, that's having someone to look up to. That is a way that comparisons can be good. Comparisons can also be a good way to figure out what what you're supposed to do. For example, I, I had classmates in high school who were really good at math and sciences and all that stuff. And, you know, as much as I worked hard at those things, I never quite had the natural talent that some of these other guys had. And they went on to become scientists and doctors. And I knew from a very early age that, I, that God just didn't wire me that way. I was more into, like, languages and history and philosophy and, and you know, and, like, debating and all that stuff. And, and, so, and so it's kind of like one of those things where that comparison helped me to see what I was good at and what I wasn't so good that. And here's the thing. Comparisons can be helpful, but when taken to an extreme, comparisons can become a very unhealthy game that we play. If you believe that, say amen. See, why is the comparison game a street cred killer? Let me give you a few reasons why. See, playing the comparison game, number one, makes you miserable. Is that when you constantly compare yourself to others and you base your worth and your value and your happiness on how you compare, it does something to you. It makes you unhappy. And see, recently, there's even some medical research that's found this link between playing the comparison game and your physical health. Is that when you keep comparing yourself to others and beating yourself up and stressing yourself out because you don't measure up to them, it causes an actual physical reaction in your body. Is that there are things like high blood pressure, poor posture, hypertension, indigestion, loss of appetite. You know, some people you know, attribute depression partly to, you know, because we keep on comparing ourselves to others and we're not able to measure up. And see, here's the thing. Doctors are just starting to realize this right now. But how many of us know that long before doctors ever talked about how the comparison game affects your body, how many of us know that the Bible was already talking about it thousands of years ago? If you believe that, say amen. If you don't believe that, look at Proverbs 14, 30 with me. Read it with me in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, what is it saying? It's saying that another way of talking about the comparison game is a word called envy. 
It's where you see what someone else has that you don't have, and you resent that person, or you resent God because of that. That's envy. And see, it's saying that when you have envy in your heart, it's like a cancer that eats you up from the inside out, such that you can't enjoy life at all. And it's, you know, when you have envy in your heart, it, it actually blinds you from seeing the blessings that are in your life. When you've got envy in your heart, you start worrying about stuff that you can't even control. You can't control how pretty that person is. You can't control how rich that other guy gets. You can't control what happens to that person, and yet you're so stressed out about it. You're so you know, wrapped up in it. You're so kind of just getting, get, getting, so, getting so wrapped up in stuff that you can't control. It's because playing the comparison game makes you miserable, and you just end up exhausting yourself and going, I'm so tired of trying to keep up. So you know what the comparison game does? It makes you unhappy. It makes you discontent. It makes you judgmental about other people. The comparison game makes you miserable. Number two, playing the comparison game hurts your relationships. How many of us know you can't be a good friend to someone when you are constantly comparing yourself to them? Amen? You, you can't be an encouraging friend to someone or supportive teammate to someone when deep down you are comparing yourself to them and secretly envying them. You can't. You can't lead people effectively when deep down you're not really sure how much you want those people to succeed. You can't. And see, when you play the comparison game, instead of loving the people and celebrating the people that are around you, you end up resenting them. You end up envying them. You end up looking down on them. You end up using them and taking them for granted. It's because the comparison game transforms us into bad friends, bad teammates, bad lovers, and bad leaders. It makes us unable to enjoy relationships. If you believe that, say amen. And not only does it affect your relationship with people, Guess what? It, reflects your, it affects your relationship with God. See, look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. This is Jesus talking. And often Jesus, when he would teach, he would use parables or short stories with a point behind it. And I want you to read this and help me preach in this place this morning. Let's read all five verses of this passage, big, loud, and clear, because this is what God's word we're talking about. Let's read in a big, loud voice. Help me preach in this place this morning. One, two, three, it says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be it will be exalted. What's going on here is that Jesus is talking about two men who are in church, and both of them are praying. The first guy is playing the comparison game, even as he's praying. He's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. That guy's a loser. That guy's not nearly as cool as I am. He's not nearly as religious as I am. I'm so much better than that person. I'm not anywhere close to that person. I thank you for that, Lord. And then this other guy he can't even look up to heaven. He's, you know, he's, he's just realizing that he's broken. He needs a savior. And he's like, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. And, and see, here's the thing. You know, the first man, he, he's playing the comparison game even before God. You know, isn't that what a lot of people 
who don't have Jesus in their lives do is that it's like it's, when you ask them about heaven, you ask them about God, are you going to heaven? Do you, like, do, you know, do you have a relationship with God? They'll often point to how they're better than other people. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven because, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like a serial rapist. I'm not some serial killer. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person relative to other people. What is that? That's the comparison game. And, and Jesus, he's, he's, ta- he's telling the story to tell us that if you think you can play the comparison game with God, then you are missing the point because God doesn't play the comparison game. Number three, see, playing the comparison game distracts you from what's most important. How many of us know that sometimes the comparison game can cause us to do some stupid things? Have you ever heard of the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Or maybe keeping up with the Kardashians, maybe? And it's this idea of, you know, you, you don't want to let, we don't want to let others to our right and to our left get ahead of us. We want to keep up with them. And so if they get a big house, we got to get a bigger house. If they got a big mortgage, we got to get a bigger mortgage. You know, if, 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 we, if, if they're driving a nice car, we got to drive a nicer car. It's about keeping up with others. And we end up living in what I call the land of Ur, the land of Ur, which is that it's not enough to just be rich. I have to be richer, right? It's not enough to be pretty. I've got to be prettier. It's not enough to be cool. I got to be cooler. It's not enough to be funny. I got to be funnier than the next guy. Could it be that today you're sitting here in Vancouver, Canada, but actually you're living in the land of Ur? Could that be? You might, your passport might say that you're Canadian. Your PR card might say that you're Canadian. Your immigration status might say that you're in Canada. But the fact is, every day, every moment of your life, you're actually living in the land of Ur. Who am I better than? Who am I, t- who, who am I taller than? Who am I smarter than? Who am I, you know, who am I prettier than? And you're constantly making those comparisons. See, here's the thing. Playing the comparison game distracts us from what's most important. And see, I like what Pastor Rick Warren says. He's a pastor in the States, and he says this. He says about the comparison game that, you know, the comparison game causes us to spend money that we don't have, to buy things that we don't need, to impress people we don't even care about. If you believe that, say amen. See, it's that, it's that just for some reason, the comparison game, it, it controls us so much that it, it causes us to do things that we don't even really want to do, but we're just doing it because of the comparison. And this is not a new problem. See, centuries ago, King Solomon, he's the king of Israel, he noticed the same problem going on in his own culture. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 with me, and reading a big loud voice, 1, 2, 3, it says, and I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He's saying that all toil, everyone say all toil, He's saying that all toil, all the hard work that I see going around around me, all the hard work and the hard labor people are putting in, so much of it is because people are envying one another. People are playing the comparison game. He said, this is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And some people are like, Solomon, what do you mean a chasing after the wind? You can't chase the wind. Like, you, you can't catch the wind. He's like, exactly. Chasing after the wind is a meaningless exercise. And so is the comparison game. There's never a finish line. There's always going to be more to compare. There's always going to be more to measure yourself against. It'll never end. It is chasing the wind. Have you been playing the comparison game? See, how do you avoid playing the comparison game? The fact is this, is that it's really natural for us to make comparisons. We do that all the time. And there's really no way of shutting it down completely. But there are certain things that you and I can do to minimize the effects of the comparison game on our lives. And today I just want to end this morning 
by sharing three or four ways that have really helped me whenever I've been tempted to play the comparison game in my life. These are three or four things that I try to keep in mind that help me to minimize the impact of the comparison game so that I can do the things that God's called me to do and be the person that God called me to be. I want you to write these down and take good notes this morning. Number one is this. Realize that you can never win at the comparison game. Turn your and say, you cannot win at that game. You cannot win at that game. You know, I've never played, I, I've had a lot of issues and a lot of struggles in the past with a whole bunch of different things. But one thing I've never done is I've never, I've never been addicted to gambling. All right? I've never had a gambling addiction before. In fact, I've never played a game at a casino before. I've been in casinos, but I've never played a game in a casino. And the reason is because the odds are stacked against you. Is that even when you think you're winning for a little bit, if you keep on doing it, the odds are not in your favor. Hunger Games, right? It's like the, the things you, you, that you don't, you, I, I, as you keep on going with it, eventually you're going to lose. And, and, and this is the thing, is why should I bother putting myself through all that trouble, stress, energy, heartbreak, and trouble just, just, just to see myself lose at the end when, it's, when I'm not going to win? And see, here's the thing. In the same way, you can never win at the comparison game is that even when you think you're winning, eventually you're going to lose. And you're going to lose in a couple ways. The first is this, is that one version of it is this, is that when you play the comparison game, you're always going to find two types of people. You're going to find people who are doing a lot better than you are. And you just get really depressed. You're like, oh. You, th you think they're doing a lot better than you are. You're just, oh, I'm so depressed. I hate my life. What's the, what's the use of even trying anymore? But then at the, at the same time, is that if you focus on people that you're doing better than, you have, you have a prideful heart. And you start to you know, have a puffed up spirit and, and you start doing things that are really arrogant and prideful. And that's a lose-lose situation. That's one way that you can't win the comparison game. But there's another way as well. And this some people might find even more common is this. Do you know why you can't win at the comparison game? It's because we tend to compare the worst of what we know about ourselves with the best assumptions we make about others. Let me say that again. We tend to compare the worst of what we know about ourselves with the best that we think others have. And if you don't understand that, or if you're trying to grasp that, let me show you a picture to illustrate what I'm talking about. I want to take a look at this picture. And see, here's the thing, is that in this picture, inside the box is a pristine, perfect, Facebook, Instagram-worthy photo. It's got, you know, this beautiful mom and and her baby, if she posted that on her Instagram or Facebook, she'd get, you know, thousands of likes. And, oh, you're such a gorgeous mom. You're such, your baby's so cute. Like, 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 retweet, share, 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 share. And, and, but then, that's all inside the box. What you don't see is what's outside the box. Look at outside the box. It's a mess. It's like there's like, it's like a war zone. There's like, you know, there's toys all over. There's food all over. You know, laundry's not done. She's wearing slippers, okay? She's wearing slippers. You know, her, her yoga ball or that fitness ball is deflated. And it's just a mess, but you don't see it because it's outside the box. And how many of you guys know that when you play the comparison game with others, you are aware of your entire mess. But all you see when you compare with others is whatever is in that little box. Amen. And as a result, the odds are not in your favor because you have no idea the mess outside of the box. And that's why you can never win at the comparison game. And see, it's because we tend to compare 
all that we know about all the stuff in our lives, including and especially our mistakes, our messes, our failures, the stuff we're not proud of, we know all of that. And we compare that to the sliver of knowledge we have about some person that we don't know well, and we compare that, oh, you're not going to win. And see, it's no wonder that, you know, once I was talking to a, a young mom, and she said, you know what, whenever I go online and I look at Facebook or look at Instagram, I feel like the worst mom in the world. And she's like, you know, my kids don't look like those kids. My cupcakes don't look like those cupcakes. You know, my, my, you know, I don't look that way. And I feel like the worst mom in the world. It's because what's happening, she's playing the comparison game. She's, comp- she's comparing all the mess and all of her life, the good and the bad. She's, compar- she's comparing all that to the little bit that she sees of someone else inside that box. And so as Andy Stanley, a pastor in the state, says, there's no win in comparison. Would you tell your neighbor that and just tell them there's no win in comparison? Could you tell them that person right now? There's no win in comparison. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. What does he say here? Read it with me in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Keep on going. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. What is Jesus saying? In other words... Don't be stupid and invest so much of yourself in a game that you cannot win. And since you can't win at the comparison game, don't play the comparison game. Practically speaking, what that means is maybe for some of you, it means just turning your cell phone off at night and not just kind of passively scrolling through what everyone is doing. Yeah, this person got this scholarship. This person looks really pretty. This person changed their profile. This person got married. This person got a new car. And and if that depresses you, and you find that all you can do is just compare yourself, this person got a new car. My car sucks. This person's got a pretty girlfriend. My girlfriend is ugly. This person, uh, you know, this person, uh, you know, lost so much weight. Look at me. You know, this person. And and if, if you can't do that, maybe it's time to just turn the phone off. And say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to play these kind of comparisons. If I'm going to use social media, I'm going to do so to be a blessing to others. Amen? Amen? I'm not going to just passively look through this and allow comparisons to control me. It's about saying, I'm going to say no to a game that I cannot win. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Number two, if you want to avoid the comparison game, number two is find your worth at the cross where Jesus died for you. See, the reason why we compare so much is because all of us in one way or another are looking for validation we're looking for someone or something to tell us you're okay or you're worth it you're acceptable you're cool you're pretty you're smart you're handsome you can do it. You're capable. It, we're looking for something or someone to, to tell us that. And, and see, here's the thing. For some of us, we look to our boyfriend or girlfriend to, to satisfy that need, to, to, to say, yeah, like, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm worthy. And, and we not, might not say it out loud, but that's why we're even in the relationship in many ways. For some of us, we look to our parents, our dad. We're just we're waiting for our dad to say, well done, good job. And we, we just, we're just craving that kind of approval. For some of us, we look to, the, look to that for our kids. For some of us, we look at to it on social media like we're like we, we judge okay how many Facebook followers do I have how many friends do I have how many likes did my post get you know and, and it's all this where we, we start to try to find how worth how much we're worth from these things and the problem is very often we look to the left 
we look to the right, and rather than feeling very encouraged about our worth, we end up feeling really, really bad because we don't feel like we measure up. Has that ever happened to you? See, here's the thing. I'm here to tell you today this one important thing, that if you don't get anything out of this message other than this, get this, is that your worth is not dependent on any of those things. Your worth is not dependent on any of those aforementioned things. Your worth depends on the cross where Jesus died for you. Amen. And if you don't believe that, look at 1 John verse four, chapter 4, verse 9. Could you read it with me in a loud voice? One, two, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, see, other religions are going to tell you, prove your worth. If you are a good enough person, if you do enough good things, if you pray enough, if you do enough good deeds, if you give enough money, then maybe, just maybe, you will prove your worth and God will deem you worthy to enter his kingdom. And see, Jesus says the complete opposite is that when we had no way to compare to God's standard, when our performance couldn't compare to God's standard, God said, I'm, I love you anyway. And I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to die on the cross for every way that you could not compare to my standard. I'm going to pay the price and the penalty for your sin so that you can be forgiven, so that we can be together and have a relationship together, such that long before you ever thought about measuring up to God, God was already loving you. If you believe that, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now, because that's the way that God loves you. And, and see, you know, this past week, I was reading about this girl who, who struggles with this eating disorder. And she's talking about how people keep telling me that I'm beautiful. People keep telling me that I should just love myself. People keep telling me that, you know, I'm, I'm gorgeous and, and I shouldn't think myself as anything less. But how do they know? What proof is there of that? Can, you, can I tell you what proof there is of that? Your proof is in the cross. Because Jesus Christ paid the highest price so that you could be with him. That's how much you mean to God. That's how much you are worth in his sight. And if, there is, if that's not worth clapping for, I don't know what is. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place, because that is who you are in Jesus. Come on, I said give him a big shout in this place, because that's the way that God loves you. To your neighbor, give him a high and say, that's the way God loves you. That's the way God loves you. If you ever want proof, that you are worth something. If you ever want to measure how much you're worth, all you have to do is look at the cross. Jesus paid the highest price for you. And that means you don't have to look to the left and the right to find out how much you're worth. You don't have to look to a man or a woman to find out how much you're worth. You don't have to look to a job or a salary figure to find out how much you're worth. You don't have to look to you know, how many followers on Facebook you have or how many likes you get for that Instagram post to find out how much you're worth because your worth wasn't decided and can't be decided and can never be decided by those things. Your worth was decided at the cross where Jesus died for you and for me. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Find your worth at the cross where Jesus died, and the comparison game will not nearly affect you as much anymore. Number three, recognize. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Are you guys learning something this morning? Number three, if you're learning something, take some good notes. Number three, recognize that you have a unique calling from God 
that can't be compared to anyone else. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five and say, you have a unique calling. You have a unique calling. What is a calling? See, a calling is an invitation to live your life for a purpose that's bigger than yourself. That's what a calling is. And God has a calling on your life. As a church here at Thrive, we have a dream. We have a calling. It is to be alive and to worship Jesus. It's to be expectant and to become Christ-like disciples. It's to be involved and to serve God with our talents. It's to be out loud and to live our lives leading others to Jesus. It's about being united and it's about loving our church, our spiritual family. And that is our dream, to be a church that is alive, expectant, involved, out loud, and united. That is our calling. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. That is our calling but listen how that calling gets expressed in your life is going to differ from person to person and it's because God has unique calling on your life the way that that expresses itself is going to be different from every person because because you don't have the same talents that your neighbor has you don't have the same talents that I have and each person is going to have to walk out their calling in a unique way because you have unique calling from God. If you believe that, say amen. Let me tell you about a guy called John. You know, from a young, young age, there was a guy called John who really believed that he had a calling on his life to preach God's word. And you know, when he started to preach God's word, people would come from all over the region where he was, where his house was. They would go to where he was and just hear him preach. And whenever he would preach the word of God, people would be so impacted. The presence of God would fall on that place, and people would just feel so in need to repent of sin or to, to, to believe in Jesus. Uh, some people would even be like, you know, I need to get baptized. And, and, and these people constantly started to come up to this guy called John to get baptized, and he is someone you can read about in John chapter 3. His name is John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist, his star was shining as bright as anyone you could imagine was shining and then along comes a guy called Jesus. Jesus is John's younger, uh, or J- Jesus, Jesus is John's younger cousin. And Jesus, when he comes on the stage, he begins to preach like no one has ever preached, with authority that no one has ever seen. And people are going to Jesus in ways that they never went to even John. And now what's going on is Jesus is beating John at his own game. It's like he's now even baptizing more people than John the Baptist. That's like selling more iPhones than Apple. That's like selling more Big Macs than McDonald's. That's like being prettier than the prettiest girl in school. But that's what was happening between Jesus and John. And what was John the Baptist's response? Well, we're going to read his response in John chapter 3. But before I show it to you, let me tell you, give you a little spoiler on what his response was not, okay? More people are going to Jesus now than John. More people are being baptized by Jesus than John. And his disciples come up to John and go, John, like, what's going on? Are you worried? Is everything, like, like are, are, what's, what are we going to do? And, you know, John's response was not, oh, I hate that Jesus. I hate you, God. You're so unfair. Do you know what his response was? Why don't you read his response with me right now? John chapter 3, verse 26. Could you read in a big, loud voice and help me preach this morning? One, two, three, it says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Stop right there. A man can only receive what is given him from heaven. 
can, 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 can you just get your head wrapped around that for a second? Can you just read that with me one more time? Read in a loud voice. One, two, three. It says, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. What is John saying? See, John was being very, very wise. See, John recognized that everything, every good thing we have in life is not simply because of our hard work. It's not simply because someone, you know, because we, we deserved it, but it's because every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. And so when John says in verse 27, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven, John is saying, you know what, guys? Hey, guys, I'm not going to worry about what Jesus has that I don't have. I'm simply going to focus on what heaven has given to me. I'm going to be thankful for what heaven has given to me. And I'm simply going to just do the best I can with what heaven has given to me. Amen. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to bother with the comparison game. And then you know what John says? He says something else. Read the next verse, verse 28. What does it say? It says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. In other words, John is saying, hey, guys, didn't I tell you all along? I'm not Jesus. I'm not this Messiah that we've all been waiting for for centuries. I'm not him. I'm sent to prepare the way for him, but I'm not him. In other words, Jesus has his calling. I have mine. Jesus has his role to play. I have mine. I've got a unique calling on my life. So don't confuse the two. If you believe that, say amen. So I'm not going to compare myself to him because we've got a different calling. I'm not going to keep on trying to measure myself up to him because we got a different calling. I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have and trust that that is going to be enough. And so that's what John does, and that's what we're supposed to do as well. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 together. What does it say? Galatians 5, 26 says, We will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives, each of us is unoriginal. Can you turn neighbor and say, you are an original? Yeah, you are an original. Praise God. You know, one thing I've learned over time is that God doesn't make copies. He only makes originals. That you won't find Kinko's in, uh, I don't know if Kinko's even existed, but Kinko's was a photocopier place. You're not going to find Kinko's in heaven because God doesn't make copies. He only makes originals. You know, when I was in high school, I had a, a classmate called David, and David was uh, unanimously considered like the best looking guy in our school, best looking guy in our grade. Uh, he was uh, the best athlete. Uh, he was a musician. He was very talented, very smart, good student. All the girls loved him. All the guys wanted to be like him, including me. And uh, I remember, like, David, he was, he was half Caucasian and half Chinese. And so he had sort of like, he had the beautiful, dark complexion of an Asian, and he had just the, the thick, wavy hair of a Caucasian. And, and so, you know, like whenever, whenever he would play any sport, it's, it's as if like, you know, his hair was just like perfectly in place. And, and it's like, it's like you, even though there's no wind on that day, for some reason there's this wind flowing through his hair. You know, and, and, and you know, whenever he would play any sport, it's almost like there was this like soft background music, like, like, like playing in the background. And it's just like, and just kind of like, you know, like, like heaven and earth just kind of would stop whenever he would like, you know, kick a soccer ball or something like that. And, 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 and that, was, that was him. And this is the thing, I wanted to be just like him. 
And I thought, oh, man, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to grow my hair out just like him. And so I decided to do that. I started to grow my hair long, and, and I tried to have the same hairstyle as him. But whereas he had the jeans to have you know, very thick, wavy hair, I had, like, you know, very, you know, very, you know, like, thin, uh, very, like, Asian hair where it just kind of, kind of comes flat. And so, you know, like, you know, it, 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 I'm playing soccer, and it's not this thick, wavy hair that's you know, blowing the background. It's like I feel like, you know, a dog, like, on a wet day, just... And I'm just like, I don't look this way. I don't look like David right now. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, like, I, I wanted to wear exactly his kind of clothes. And so, you know, I, I went to the, to the mall and I tried to get all the clothes that he wore, but he's a bit bigger than I am. And so, like, when I put on his clothes, it just didn't fit, just looked weird. And finally, finally, after months of trying, when I thought I finally got the look of David, all of a sudden, when, like, I, I, I'm walking to school thinking that I've got the look down, and, you know, the next term, he completely changes his look. And now he's got a crew cut, he's got a different set of clothes, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I will never keep up with him. And, you know, what I learned from that situation was this, is that I realized that, you know, I don't need to be the next David. In fact, I don't want to be. In fact, it's so much better, especially after I received Christ in my life, it's so much better just to be the one and only J.B. Lim. Amen? Amen. Come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. It's because God doesn't make copies. He only makes originals. God didn't make you to be some bootlegged, cheap copy of someone else. He made you to be you. And so whenever I'm tempted to compare myself to someone else or compare what I'm doing with some other group and what they're doing, that's when I need to remind myself that I've got a different calling, that I've got a unique calling from God that can't be compared to anyone else. For some of you today, maybe that's the biggest mistake that you're making right now is that you keep comparing yourself to someone whose genes, whose background, whose talents, whose gifting, whose calling is totally different from yours. And you just keep on trying to be just like that person and you want to keep on keeping up with that person when God has a different plan for your life. He's got a unique calling. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And see, here's the thing. If God made you to be that person, guess what? He would have made you that person. He would have made you that person, but he didn't. He made you, you, because you have a unique destiny. I, I want to show you something, and I don't know if those in the back can see it, but I'm, I'm just going to show it to you right now. I'm going to show you my shoes. I'm going to show you my shoes right now. Okay? Can you see that? Can you see that? Okay. Now you know what color socks I'm wearing as well. But see, here's the thing. Is that, have you ever worn shoes that don't belong to you? Maybe because you're, you're at the beach, or you're maybe, you know, you, you got some shoes mixed up. And have you ever worn shoes that didn't belong to you? Could you imagine, we're going to go on a 5K run in just a few minutes. Could you imagine running, trying to run in someone else's shoes? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's painful. It's going to be frustrating. And eventually, you'll be very inclined to give up because those don't fit you. I'm here to tell you today, your calling from heaven, your unique calling is like a pair of shoes that only fit your feet. Your calling in life, the one that God has for you, is one that only fit you. No one else can do the calling you've got, and you, no one else can fit the shoes that you want to wear. And the same goes the other way. You can't, if, even if you tried for the rest of your life, you will never be able to stand in the shoes of someone else's calling because God made you to be you. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. It's because you have a unique calling. Look at Matthew chapter 25, 19 to 23. This is one of Jesus' most famous 
parables, and he's talking, people who've never gone to church, they sometimes somehow know something about this parable often. It's where there's this big landowner, rich guy, this master, who has three servants, and he decides he's going to hand out and entrust some talents to each of these servants. He gives according to their ability. He gives five to one guy. He gives two to another guy. He gives one talent to another, and each of them does something with what they're given. The guy with the five, he puts it to work. He gains five more. The guy with the two, he puts it to work. He gains five more. The guy who's the, got the one is a little bit lazy, a little bit responsible, a little bit fearful, like those street credit killers we've been talking about, a little bit selfish, a little bit inconsistent, doesn't, kind of just fizzles out. He takes you know, his talent, he just kind of buries it in the ground, doesn't do anything with it. And what I want to focus on today is that part of the story where the master returns, and I just want to focus on the first two servants right now. Could you look at verse 19 with me and read it with me in a loud voice? One, two, three, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I want you to go back to the first slide, or the, 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 the slide right before, the slide right before, the slide right before. And what does it say? I want you to try to keep this in your head, what he says to the first servant who got five. Say it with me. It says, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay, so that's the guy with the five. Everyone say five. He has five. He, he works at it, he gets five more, and that's what the master says to him. Now comes a guy with two. He works hard, he gains two more. And what does the master say to the guy with two? Spoiler alert. He doesn't say, well, why not five? Why didn't you give me five like the other guy gave me five? You know, wh why, wh why can't you be more like the guy with the five? What, what's wrong with you? Can't, can't you see like the guy with the five is what it's all about? Can't, like, can't, you don't measure up to the guy with the five. Does that what he says? No. What does he say? Say it with me. He says, "The man with the two, He says, "The man with the two talents also came." Master, he said, "You entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more." His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What did he say? He said exactly the same thing to him. He had the same praise and the same response to the fact that he got two and he worked at it and he got another two and it's because it goes to show God doesn't play the comparison game. Amen is that God doesn't say, oh, why couldn't you be more like her? Why don't you do what she did? No, he says, what did you do with what I gave you? It's because you have a unique calling. Turn neighbor and say, I've got a unique calling. And so instead of asking, why don't I have that person's talents? Why don't I have that person's looks? Why don't I have that person's you know, smarts? Why don't I have that person's opportunities? What you can do instead is like the guy with the two. You know, you could always focus on, oh, yeah, look at the guy with the five. He's got so many. Why does he have five and I only have two? Oh, look at the guy with the one. Uh, he only has one. Like, you, you could do that, but this is playing the comparison game. Instead, like the guy who did it with the two, you just do the very best you can with what God has given to you, knowing that when you do that, you're fulfilling the calling God has on your life, and no one can ask you for anything more. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. <laughs> Praise God. 
Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 with me right now. What does it say? It says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Here's a question for you today. Who is someone you need to stop comparing yourself to? See, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to you you can't learn from others. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to others. I'm not saying that you know, we shouldn't use comparisons to help us in certain areas. But you don't want to be controlled by comparison anymore. Because for whenever you play the comparison game, you're diminishing the uniqueness of the story that God is writing with your life. Let me say that again. Whenever you play the comparison game, you are diminishing the uniqueness of the story that God is writing with your life. You are diminishing the uniqueness of the calling that God has for your life. And because the fact is this, when your life is through and you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, so what did you do with the talents that I gave Loretta? What did you do with the talents I gave Winston? You're not gonna, he's not going to say that. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with my son Jesus? And what did you do with the rest of what I gave you? He's not going to be like, why couldn't you be more like straight A Cindy? Why couldn't you be more like pretty Polly? And so if parents in this place, maybe, just maybe, you're listening to the sermon and you're realizing today that one of the mistakes you're making with your child is that you keep comparing your child to someone that that person is not. You keep comparing your child, as much as you love them, you keep on trying to mold them into something that they are not. And you keep comparing them to people that they are not. It's time to say, I'm going to stop playing the comparison game. Maybe you're married in this place, and you're, or you're dating. And you keep on trying to compare that person you're with with someone that you're not with that maybe you wish that person was more like. And I'm here to tell you today, stop playing the comparison game. Because the fact is, that person that you're with, that person has a unique calling on their life. They're not that other person. They are their unique creation. And if you will love them and cherish them for who they are, you will help them achieve the destiny that God had for them from the very start. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's time to stop playing the comparison game. Amen. Is this helpful in this place? Are you learning something this morning? Yeah? Amen. I'm going to end with one last one. If you want to avoid the comparison game, the last thing I want to encourage you to do, number four, find your missing joy through a close relationship with Jesus. You know, when John the Baptist, we talked about him earlier, when his disciples are coming to John going, John, 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 I don't know how to tell you this, but more people are going to Jesus and uh, more people are being uh, baptized by him. And, And you know what? And he was like, you know what? It's cool, guys. A man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. I'm not the Christ. I'm the one sent ahead of him. And he says one more thing. He says, Look at John chapter 3, verse 29. Could you read that with me in a big, loud voice? 1, 2, 3, it says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. See, what's John saying? What's he talking about? See, here's the thing. Is that um, back then, when a man and a woman are going to get married in Jewish culture, very much like today, there is a best man. Have you ever been a best man before at a wedding? I've had the privilege and the honor of being the best man at, I think, two, three weddings. I've been a groomsman for six weddings. And um, I can tell you this, is that when you are the best man or you're the groomsman, your role is to lift up the bride and the groom. Your role is to serve 
the bride and the groom. The worst thing you can do is try to take over the spotlight and go, look at me, look at me. That's the worst thing you can do because you're not there to serve yourself. You're there to serve the bride and the groom. And much like that happens today, when back in John's time, when if, if you were a best man, you would be there to invite the guests. You'd be hosting them. You might even make a speech. But at the very end of the night, the most important part is this, is that the bride and the groom, they're, they're walking up to their bridal chamber and um, they're going to spend their first night together. And you as the best man, you are escorting them up to that room. They go into the room. They close the door. And the groom says from inside, all right, man, thanks so much. We're good. And at that point, the best man says, mission accomplished. I can go home now. And see, the reason why John brings that up is he's saying, you know, guys, all those people who we've been baptizing and all those people who are going to Jesus, that's the bride. That's the church. How many of you know that the Bible describes the church as a bride? Amen? And then, you know, the groom, that groom is Jesus. I'm not the groom. I'm the man who attends to the groom. I'm like the best man, or I'm like the groomsman. And I'm just happy to serve this guy called the groom. His name is Jesus. And there's no greater joy for me than to escort the bride and the groom to where they're supposed to be. And then I hear his voice. I'm listening. I'm waiting. And then I hear him say, all right, buddy, we're good. Mission accomplished. And see, the reason why I want to bring that up with you today is this. Your joy will never be complete by playing the comparison game. You can try to fill your life with all the stuff that the world says that you need to be happy, and your joy will never be complete. Do you know when your joy will be complete? Your joy will be complete when, just like Jesus, or just like John, when you, could you go to verse 29, the first part? It says, when you attend to the groom, his name is Jesus, when you wait for the groom, called Jesus, when you listen for the groom, called Jesus, and when you hear his voice, when you hear his voice, when you hear his voice, all of a sudden, you come alive like never before. It's because you were made to know Jesus. Amen? You know, there's, there's a moment where, because, you know, John talks about, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Jesus, I'm sent ahead of him. Do you guys know that, because John and Jesus were cousins, they've known each other from the very, very beginning of their lifetimes. And there, there was a time, and I think about this because my wife, Pastor Charlene, she's, she's pregnant and we're expecting our second child very soon. And there's this moment in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is still in Mary's tummy. John is still in his mom Elizabeth's tummy. And there's this moment, this really cool moment, where Mary is in a room. Elizabeth walks into the room. Mary greets Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth goes, <gasps> And it's because the moment when Mary, mother of Jesus, greets Elizabeth, the son inside Elizabeth's tummy, John, it says that he leapt for joy. It's like he moved. He, he, was, he was moved and he moved. And, and, and Elizabeth was, oh my goodness, whoa. And, then, and, and she, she was like, and, and all of a sudden she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she says, how could I be so favored and so fortunate that I get to meet the mother of my Lord? And it's because at that moment, when John got near Jesus, he became full of joy. 
I don't know if he knew if it was going on, but it's almost as if, if we could kind of do an ultrasound into his, the womb of Elizabeth. You could see John going, look, 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 it's Jesus, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. It's because his joy, even from the very beginning, was Jesus. And the reason I share that with you is because just like John the Baptist, you were born to know the joy of being near Jesus. When you know the joy of being near Jesus, the comparison game becomes irrelevant. That happens so much with me is that when I'm tempted to get into the comparison game, I get into the presence of God. I start worshiping God. I start reading his word. I start praying. I start you know, remembering who I am in Jesus. I start spending time with my church. I start having my game time. And I do those things. And when I do those things, all of a sudden, the comparison game becomes irrelevant. And all of a sudden, I can love people and celebrate people around me just the way that they are because I found a joy that the comparison game could never give me. I found a joy that only Jesus can give me. I found a joy, and that joy is made complete because I know what it's like to be near Jesus. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Come on. Amen. Give a big shout in this place. Come on, guys. Amen. It's because you found a joy that's beyond compare. It's the joy of being close to Jesus. Similarly, if you want to avoid the comparison game, it's about realizing I was born to have a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I weigh on him, when I listen for him, when I spend time with him, and when I hear his voice, I come alive. You come alive when you hear Jesus' voice. You come alive when he speaks into your heart. That's why we're here. That's why we're born. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning? Would you get up from your feet? Would your worship team please come up? And we're just going to respond to God in this place. Would you tell your neighbor, give them a high five and just say, God loves you so much. Can you just tell that person right now? Could you just bless that person right now and find another person, even if he's crossing an aisle, just give them a tap and just say, God loves you so much. Praise God. We're going to learn and we're going to love and we're going to respond as we sing this song together, I know that Saz and the team, they've done a great job and our volunteers have done a great job this morning. Let's sing this song together.